1: Welcome to Beer Me on full-service radio, typically broadcasted live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So this is a little bit of a departure from our regular show. On April 8th through the 11th, I had the opportunity to go to the Craft Brewers Conference. This is put on by the Brewers Association every year, and every year it is in a different location. This year, it was in Denver, Colorado. Now, aside from educational seminars, trade meetings, events, there is Brew Expo America. This is a massive, massive expo with hundreds and hundreds of vendors coming from all over the world. So what I've done is I have a few short interviews uh, with different vendors uh, from different parts of the beer world. The first interview I did was with hop queens uh, from the hop growing regions of Germany. Now, these women are are completely fascinating to me. They were in traditional uh, German garb. They all wore tiaras, beautiful uh, tiaras that have hops on them. Uh, So I started the questioning with how does one become a hop queen? Have a listen.
2: must be a doctor of a grower. And we have a lot of different regions in German. And for example, I'm from the Elbe that's the east region of German, and the other boats come Palatau and Tetmang that's the South region, and we are at the really big corner to be the Hop Queens of them, and there's uh, every year an uh, election, and well, there you go uh, upstairs and must present yourself and introduce yourself, and why you are the best one for the Hop Queen, and, yeah, so we are the three who uh, get this position. So I think we were the best of them and have the best smile and whatever. So these things are um, important for who presentate our areas and our German hobby. And what are
1: some requirements for participating? And, and what are some ways that you explain that you are the best? Um, I think... Uh, the reason is, why you are a hop queen is um, you must be from a, a hop-growing family, and you are or your mother must grow hop, and so we all know about hop, and this is very important to be a hop queen, because you must um, know everything about that, how you grow that, and. It, at the moment, in Germany, the hop is beginning to grow, and so it, we are working at home. We are work at home till the harvest at September, and this is also an amazing, amazing feeling for us when the seven-meter-high hop harvest at September. And while you are looking at the hop, it is amazing because you see what the, that the hard work in the whole year was worth it. And so you all actually have to participate in the harvest? Do you have to harvest the hops yourselves or do you be part of it? Yeah, we are all part
2: of that. You must imagine um, all hop um, work is a family work and there's your father and sometimes your grandfather and also the kids must help with them and because harvest, every hand is... Um, very important for the work yeah, and hop growing is so uh, uh,
1: long, has a long tradition in Germany and what are some of the traditions that are around the harvest are there certain exciting things that you do, are there festivals or uh, traditions as far as eating or drinking I think
2: each region has its own traditions um, in tetnang we have the last hop um, is the um hopfen sau in germany so it's the hop pick and um it's um yeah in the past when the people pick up the um when you harvest uh, by hand
3: mm-hmm.
2: um the last guy who harvests the last hop um, yeah, everybody has a beer in their hand and celebrate that it's the end and um, at the evening there's a big meal and everybody is happy because all goes uh, went good and yeah but I think you have also traditions. For example in East Germany, I don't know, is this the same in the other regions, but there's a tradition before the harvest. So everyone go to the field, and this person who um, find the first plant who's go up and the end of the travels, um, when uh, this person find this biggest and fastest plant, it must uh, take a round of beer for all of the company.
1: Ah, okay. So Those it's all really, really nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. Well, well, thank you, nice. of course. <laughs> Sitting down with Sean Burley at API Heat Transfer. Um, so what is it that you all do?
0: Well, what we're doing right now actually is showcasing our latest and greatest machine, the Sigma-Tech de system. Now, this has been available over in Europe for decades. Mm-hmm. Now we're taking it here to the States because of the rejuvenated interest in low and no alcohol beverages, uh, not just because of millennials and health trends and everything else, but also because of the THC legalization efforts that have been taking place primarily on the West Coast, but also now even on the East Coast. Uh, we're here in Denver right now where it's been legal for some time, and there are THC beers available here.
1: And the, but the alcohol has to be removed.
0: That's it, yeah. And that's what's very unique about North America, uh, both Canada and the United States. You have to have the alcohol removed before you're allowed to basically infuse any level of THC. And once it's infused with THC, it can never cross state lines, even from one state to another state where both states are legal. Mm. Yes. That's a nuance a lot of people don't know.
1: Okay. Yes. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. There it is. I'm one of them. Absolutely. Uh, but the tradition of having non-alcohol or very, very low alcohol beer has been alive and well in Europe where mm. you were describing earlier The end of the night you end with one that doesn't have any alcohol, correct?
0: Absolutely. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a happier hour. Basically, the uh, you get to continue to enjoy the night with your friends or family mm-hmm. or what have you and still be able to drink. Um, now, in Germany, a good example is a lot of people drink, and then they have to drive home, and you have to take the Autobahn. And it's a very dangerous proposition. Yeah. <laughs> drinking and driving laws are becoming more and more strict, not only in Western Europe, but also in North America. And as yeah. these drinking and driving laws become more strict, there is more opportunity for de beverages.
1: Now, how does this actually work? What What is actually happening here?
0: The process is actually elegant. And okay. What we really like about this process is not simply that it, it's very gentle mm-hmm. to the beer, but actually how effective and basically continuous it is. In other words, we are able to run this system continuously without stopping, feasibly for days on end. Wow. There are companies in northern Germany uh, that start the system on Monday at 9 a.m., and they stop on Saturday night. Wow. It's running the entire time, and that system is at 50 hectoliter per hour. So, 25 times 6, yeah. you know, it's 24. Added the
1: it's the end of the day. Barrel. Yeah. <laughs> so the actual process is stripping the alcohol away, but you're maintaining the integrity of the beer. Mm-hmm.
0: And we're doing that by that low temperature distillation. Okay. So what we're able to do is we preheat the beer to about 120 degrees Fahrenheit, which is actually lower than pasteurization temperature. What's unique is after this, it goes into a, uh, a vacuum-induced evaporation chamber. So we induce that vacuum, and then we flash it, evaporate Mm -hmm. it. When we flash it, uh, a stream vapor of the alcohol and the aromas come off while the liquid falls to the bottom and is separated out. If you were to actually be able to reach your hand into the system right now and taste that liquid, it would have almost no real taste. Mm -hmm. All the taste came out with those aromas and textures and alcohol vapors. Now what we do is we take those vapors and we separate them further through stripping columns The alcohol is concentrated up to 80%. Mm -hmm. So
3: it's
0: 160 proof. It's proper fire water. Yeah. And that is a marketable byproduct of our system.
1: Yeah. You can
0: actually sell that either to a distiller, or if you have a distillation license of your own, you can sell that. Um, Or you can even sell it to an industrial concern. But what a waste of great liquor. Um, a common application for this is, believe it or not, just uh, dis- running it through another distillation column somewhere else and turning it into a vodka or an American okay. spirit, such as whiskey. Um, the alcohol now has no taste. So, what we got to do is reintroduce that aroma that we separated out and push mm-hmm. it back into that, uh, that stream of beer. At this point, now you have 0.0% alcohol by volume beer with the full taste of the beer that you started with. And this works for any type of beer, mm-hmm. of any recipe. This will work for a wide range of alcohol by volume beers, from a five percent pilsner to a hell, a, a, a Russian imperial stout. Wow! It does as well any kind of filtration mechanisms or me- membranes, which often overstrip the beer and filter out the beer. Mm-hmm. Membrane systems often will re- result in a very clarified. Beer stream. Okay. Yeah, which is good for like a simple pills, but if you're going to be doing a Hefeisen, a New England IPA, or even a stout, you're not going to want to use that. Okay. This maintains the integrity of the beer as intended by the brewmaster.
1: Wow. And where are you all based out of?
0: Well, we're headquartered both in Buffalo, New York,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, birthplace of a chicken wing, mm-hmm. and Bretton, Germany, which is not too far from Stuttgart or Frankfurt.
1: Okay. Yeah. And how long have you guys been around?
0: Uh, 1882. Okay. Yeah. So we invented a lot of what you now call heat exchangers Mm -hmm. at the German company. Uh, The plate and frame heat exchanger was patented by uh, Mr. Schmidt. So API Schmidt Breton, that's us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've been around for a while. It's pretty intense seeing, like, the lab and everything. They're still working on new designs to this day.
1: Well, and especially with trends, you know, you kind of got to keep up to...
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it.
3: For sure. Hi, my name's Steve Rosenblatt. I'm with Sonoma Stone out of Petaluma, California.
1: So you make beer tanks out of cement? Concrete. Concrete, okay. Uh-huh. So you have this massive, giant, egg-looking thing here. Uh, what is the benefit of making beer in concrete?
3: Well, we've been making concrete wine tanks for years, and a number of beer companies came to us and bought them and said the beer is fabulous. We, we want more of these. So we started to specialize uh, even more so in beer. And it's quite different from a, it's a, they're made primarily for fermentation and for aging. It's quite different from stainless or, uh, or oak or anything like that in that uh, there's a wonderful thermal mass so that when you're fermenting, for example, you don't get a spike in temperatures. It's a very constant, even temperature. And in aging, you get, you get some of the minerality from the land, because that's really what concrete is. It's stone and sand and whatnot. So you pick up a lot of nice minerality and a wonderful mouthfeel.
1: And you have been, how long have you all been doing this?
3: Well, we've been making beer tanks for only four years. We've been making wine tanks for about 14 years. Uh, today, most of the high-end wines are all made in concrete. Uh, certainly in Europe and now in America, probably 70% of it are made in concrete. Everybody's surprised at that. <laughs> uh, we hope the same will be true with beer.
1: And is as far as like a cost, um, is it...
3: It's more expensive. It's more expensive at the get-go. It's, it's more expensive, uh, and it's it's all relative. But in the long, those concrete tanks will last. Oh, some of them are up to seventy years, but these will last easily 40, 50 years. So that additional cost is lost early on in the game. But it's a bit more than stainless. Uh, probably the same as oak, depending on the sizes you're buying and quantities and things.
1: As far as upkeep goes and and maintaining it and cleanliness, how does that differ from from stainless?
3: Well, stainless is really easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is, it's not as easy as stainless, but it's certainly better than than oak and most beer makers are familiar with oak. To clean a tank, you stick a a two inch ball in there and run either tartaric acid or citric acid, uh, any of the cleaning solutions for 10, 12 minutes Rinse it out, and you're ready to go. That's
1: okay, so not so, so bad. Percent, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty simple. Now, was your family in this business, or did you start this? I started
3: it a number of years ago because we're in Sonoma, so that's the wine country, and that sort of got us making, we make a number of other products. We also make a lot of products, uh, kitchen and bath products, and commercial, restaurant, uh, uh, a lot of big name restaurants all use sonoma Castell.
1: So you're looking to diversify?
3: Very diversified. Excellent.
1: Well, thank you so
4: much.
3: Thank you very much, it's fun talking to you.
4: Hi, my name is Heidi Amsler from Amsler Equipment in Ontario, Canada. Uh, We design and build PET stretch blow molding machines for bottles that range in size from 20 milliliters to 30 liters. Um, Today we're at the Craft Beer Conference in Denver and we have just announced a PET plastic bottle version of the glass growler. So it's actually a plastic version of the growler, Mm -hmm. 64 ounces. It has a handle and it also has a barrier in it for a longer shelf life. And that barrier prevents oxygen ingress, so oxygen going into the bottle and carbonation going out of the bottle. So allows for a long shelf life, and the package looks very similar to the glass growler.
1: It's just yeah, pretty much almost exactly the same, especially in the clear version.
4: Yes, yeah. and it ha- still has the handle. Um, it's about half as heavy as mm-hmm. a glass growler, so it's a lot easier to move around, and it's shatterproof, so it bounces on the ground, <laughs> which is great. Um Yeah, so it's a new product for us. It's going to be available in about three weeks. Um, Yeah, we sell it out of Canada.
1: So, what is the benefit? You know, you've we've seen growlers moving from glass to um, aluminum. Okay. What is the benefit to yours, uh, your plastic over aluminum?
4: Over aluminum, Mm -hmm. Um, you can see the product if you elect to take a clear package with Mm -hmm. a barrier. Um, it is refillable like the aluminum package. And so this company
1: started in other plastic containers, yes. and this is you all expanding into this new market.
4: Right. So normally we're making a lot of household good products like mm-hmm. Windex bottles, spice jars, mayonnaise jars, other beverages. Mm-hmm. This was just a, pl- a glass to plastic conversion originally we did a 12 ounce PET beer bottle that's crown capped that was
1: last year this year we came out with the growler nice yeah. um and so I'm noticing that you have different colors of plastic so there's like kind of a there's a brown one there, this one's kind of greenish it looks really cool mm-hmm. um and then the clear one the clear one is that protecting beers against skunking so the clear one is really more for a cider product.
4: Okay. Um, we just have it here to show that there is beer inside. It's mm-hmm. very clear this way that it's beer um, but our products can be any color. Um, we do a lot of uh, liquor bottles in a lot of different colors. Nice. Yes yeah, so there's a lot of options. Excellent.
1: Well do you, and you do 12 ounce plastic bottles. Yes, so do you have people who, who take you up on that?
4: Yeah, we've got a couple of people that have, have tried them out. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a lighter weight option. Definitely lighter weight.
1: And again, like, my question would be, what is the benefit to... Because, you know, obviously this is easier for shipping because yes. it weighs less.
4: That's right.
1: Um, you're getting the same amount of protection because it's brown plastic. Right. You're getting the same shape, um, and it still looks nice. Yes. But what is the benefit over an aluminum can?
4: So... Th- the price availability of PET plastic is better than aluminum there okay. are some aluminum supply shortages at the moment mm-hmm. um, the other really good benefit about using plastic on a production line is that when you smash a glass bottle on a production line you need to shut the whole line down mm. clean it out and restart it with a plastic bottle it would just crush and you remove it and just continue production
1: oh, okay okay yeah nice Very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming by.